I'm going to be preaching not so much from Romans 8. However, it, that has a, it definitely has a place in my sermon. Um, but my sermon is a little more broad than that. But I'm going to uh, begin by reading the entire chapter of Romans 8. And I do that for context's sake. And because this is the last sermon that I'll be preaching from Romans 1 through 8, which is the first great argument that Paul Hatt makes. Uh, I can't even begin to tell you the influence that these eight chapters have had on the church the last 2,000 years. Uh, we would be lost without them. Um, hear the word of the Lord. And by the way, I don't have a PowerPoint this morning, so I hope you brought your Bibles. If you didn't bring your Bibles, we have Bibles over here, uh, like in the Bibles in the pews, that's right. So uh, just didn't bring them, didn't, didn't do a PowerPoint this morning. And it's probably a good thing I don't do a PowerPoint every time. I encourage you to read the Bible. Hear the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 8. Paul writes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of, uh, of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit um, is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, good news, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him uh, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with them in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning and travail the whole creation groaning in travail together in pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things with him? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, for we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, or no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. (sighs) Would you pray with me? Father, it is so good that you are with us and that we who have put our trust in you will always be working with us and in us to bring about a righteousness and a holiness that we see in Jesus Christ. May you complete that work in us so one day we will behold your face in glory. Amen. Amen. This morning I would like to begin with something funny. I just read to you Uh, a rather long chapter, Romans chapter 8. I'd like to begin with something humorous, something to get you to laugh. And by the way, that's a very good rhetorical technique, right? It's a good preaching technique. It's a good uh, technique for speaking in general. If the speaker can actually make the audience, and in this case the congregation, laugh, then the congregation kind of lightens up, begins to be able to receive it, and begins to trust the speaker. But you know, I've been preaching for a long time in this church, and I think you, for most of you anyway, trust me, so I don't, I'm not going to use anything funny this morning. You thought I was going to give you something funny, but I'm not. I'm not to start with. Um, actually, the subject this morning is 
really, the truth is, it's, it's too serious to, in my opinion, to start off with something funny. Uh, because the subject is abandonment. Uh, that's the topic I'm preaching on this morning. You can tell by the text here in Romans 8, particularly verses 31 through 39, God's not going to abandon us. But the subject is abandonment. We're having Holy Communion together today, and it draws our attention to our Lord's experiences, particularly his experience at, uh, when, he, when he shared his, the Passover meal with his disciples. Uh, in Matthew 16, we read the following. Matthew 16, 20, if you want to follow in your Bibles. If not, just hear this word uh, about that Passover meal. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Uh, Matthew doesn't tell us how Jesus knows that. I don't know if you ever wondered that when you've read the story about that supper and how Judas dips the bread into the same cup with Jesus and how Jesus would know, know this. It doesn't tell us that, but Jesus knows. Jesus knows. I think that's all I need to say about that. Jesus knows. Jesus knows what he needs to know. Jesus knows all things, especially now that he's been glorified. Jesus knows you. He knows your sin. There's a warning there, isn't there? He knows your sin. He knows also uh, all those things that he gets excited about when it comes to you. But Jesus knows. Uh, Just a few verses earlier, Matthew tells us that Judas sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Not a whole lot, is it? 30 pieces of silver. Uh, It wouldn't even matter if it was 30 pieces of gold. It's not very much to sell out the Son of God, the one who will save the world from their sin. Um, The startling thing for me is the way in which Jesus tells his disciples and he informs the one who betrays him. He who dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. In the ancient world, eating together was a very, was very serious business. You didn't have someone into your home without giving that person the, an appropriate welcome uh, sometimes it includes the washing of the feet. Uh, it includes serving uh, the person who you have over. It's treating that person with respect. And, and there, was, there was a communion that happens in eating in the ancient world that I don't think that we fully appreciate. However, we get glimpses of it. Because some of us have people into our homes and, and we, we, begin to, we have meals with them. And what happens when you have someone into your home? You get closer to that person, especially over the dinner table. There's something about the dinner table. Uh, here we see Jesus is reclining at table. That's, an, that's a Greco-Roman way of describing uh, uh, the way in which people ate together. They actually would, uh, literally, they would recline. They would, they would be back leaning up against, they would be sitting, on their, sitting and leaning back on their seats. Uh, it was a very personal engagement. 
And so uh, we have this, this kind of connection going on. And yet, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray you. Um, you know, sometimes Pharisees had people over for dinner. And there are some occasions, occasion, there's some occasions here in the New Testament where the Pharisees would have Jesus over for a meal. Uh, but here we have a disciple. This is not a Pharisee who betrays Jesus, but a disciple who betrays Jesus. He who dips his hand in the dish will, well, with me will betray me. Uh, they were eating the same food, and so they were bonded. They were bonded. Um, and yet we have the emphasis of the bond being broken. Um, I mean, let's be honest. This was the ultimate betrayal. That's what it was. And it was the ultimate abandonment of Jesus' love. Uh, there's a message there, don't you think? There's a message there, don't you think? Abandonment. That's right, it's abandonment and betrayal. Uh, could it be me? You ever feel that way? Assess your life for a little bit. Have you ever felt like you've abandoned the Lord? Kind of done your own thing? Gone your own way? Even for a few days? I don't know. This is a very personal warning to us. The disciples who have been with him for three years begin to question among themselves, is it I? Is it I? Could it be me? And the question is, for us, because that question is being posed, could I abandon Jesus Christ? I don't think there could ever be a more difficult issue for us on a personal level. And indeed, the, the abandonment of Jesus Christ is that very thing that the world entirely turns because it's on this betrayal and this abandonment that Jesus goes to the cross for you and me. Okay, there's still another perspective, however. Jesus experienced abandonment, betrayal. I'm not going to talk about the difference between betrayal and abandonment. They're a little different, but it's, it's, it's the same. It's, these are related ideas. Um, there's another way of looking at abandonment. Because all of us have experienced abandonment at one time or another. I think so. Maybe you've never experienced being abandoned. Now, I'm not talking about abandoning Jesus at this point or abandoning God. I'm talking about you being abandoned by someone that you love or someone that you know. Um, and the question is raised, or must be raised, why do we experience this kind of pain? I'll never forget when I, uh, I'll never forget this. My brother and I were very close. And I was with him one time. Uh, he, well, I was like glued to him. I always looked up to him and respected my brother. And everywhere he went, I went. And that probably annoyed him at times. He said, my little brother will not leave me alone. All right? Probably so. But I'll never forget one time when I went with him to a friend's house. There were multiple friends of his, probably about six friends of his, at a house uh, in the neighborhood that we lived. And they verbally said to my brother, we don't want Paul. He's just a kid. You know, there was a lot on the line when they said that. When my brother abandoned me, he didn't. 
but I, I'll never forget it because the possibility of being abandoned was, would be, I knew it would be so hurtful. Abandonment comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. It comes in all kinds of forms. F abandonment comes to our foster community, right? It comes in our foster community. It comes to foster children. Isn't that what foster children go through is being abandoned? Isn't that like the core of it? The Delisha family knows something about the foster system and knows something about foster children because foster children, by definition, are children who have been abandoned. And the pain runs deep. So deep that in most cases, it takes a lifetime, and maybe even more than a lifetime, to ever heal from that. We are made to be connected and loved and never to be rejected or abandoned. It's amazing to me how many times I can see big, powerful, strong men. You know, they got their six-pack, they got their guns, they're big, six foot seven, whatever you have it. And when you really get down to it inside, they're just kids. And particularly when you get into a situation where, where they tr begin to trust you and they open up and they start telling you how their father did something that hurt them. Or some other family member, or maybe a spouse. And there's this pain that comes in. There's this, there's this pain that they experience. We, we, unfortunately, experience abandonment. Sometimes it's our own spouses, right? We feel that our spouse has abandoned us sometimes. Mine would never do so. Christy is the most loyal person I've ever known. But the, but, that, but the point is that it can come in a variety of ways. Foster children that feel abandoned. Grown men and women feel abandoned. Uh, I, this, I'm going to use this story this morning just because, I, I, I mean, I think it's appropriate. I've used this story uh, before, but I'm going to use it anyway. Because abandonment comes in all kinds of forms. Uh, a mother and a father and a young boy went into a restaurant, and they were seated. And this waitress was she was pretty you know strong. She had a strong personality, and this waitress you know she went right up to the table, and she said, "Well, uh, how how can I help you? How can I help you the, the uh, today?" And uh, and she you know she had her order pad and so forth. And the parent ordered like this. Immediately jumped in and said said uh, jumped in and said, "Well, you know what? He's going to have beef." for the kid, right? He's going to have beef and some vegetables, lots of vegetables, and a roll and a glass of milk. And the kid said, I want a hot dog. The mother looked at him and said, no hot dog. You're not having a hot dog. But the waitress ignored the mother and said, how would you like your hot dog? What do you want on it? Do you want ketchup? Do you want mustard? Do you want relish? The boy said, I want a hot dog with lots of ketchup. Of course, she brought a hot dog. And the kid said, hey, you know what? She actually thinks I'm real. See, the thing is, is that as children, um, children, children can be abandoned in terms of their own identity. Now, I'm sure that the, you know, getting the, the meat and the vegetables and so forth and the milk and all that was good. But, but there are times when children just want to know that they are important, that what they want uh, is, is, is valued, and so forth. Um, again, there's many forms of abandonment. Uh, if you go online and look up poetry, abandonment poetry, you'll find all kinds of pain. Because I, I, think, that the, I think that this is one of the most... This is one of the issues that it's like foundational in people's lives. 
because they carry it so far. There's a, there's a little poem that I discovered here online, uh, and it goes like this. And I, I hesitate to read the whole thing to you, but it's uh, it's very powerful. Uh, she writes this. Behind your shadow I stand and fall. It's a tough battle in which I feel so small. My feelings toward you you might think are dumb, sad, upset, confused, angry, hurt, and numb. When I needed a mom, you were not there to talk to about boys or to fix my hair. Yes, you did call every once in a while, but an ocean of tears hides, hides behind this smile. Tormented, trapped, and torn, my heart says I feel Seven years after I was born, my heart won't start to heal. I see other girls laugh with their moms. I go dizzy uh, with swirls and crash like a bomb. The anger in me rages in fright, always staying angry. I just think I might. Time heals everything. I don't think that's true. I know something time w did not do. Time has been flying for, for a long while. I've, been, I've always been trying to, sh to show a real smile. One thing that hurts, and I don't know why, you move far away and it makes me cry. When I think about this to myself, I lie. I've gotten over you that I would not try. You are a mother, a mother of two, me and my brother. We hardly know you. Every night I think of how my life could have been. Tears run down my face and my world starts to spin. These past few years have been really hard. For the rest of my life, I'll be, I've been, I've been, uh, I'll be severely scarred. It took me time to realize what you did to me. Tears in my eyes and you're clueless, it seems. I try to be brave. It really hurts. You could have stayed instead of making it worse. I want you to know this. It's sad, but it's true. You hurt your little girl and your little boy too. You ruined me. You made me cry. You really hurt me. And to laugh, I try. There's a hole in my heart that doctors don't see. I guess they don't know what my mommy did to me. If you want me back, you'll have to prove you can be a, a, a mom to me and Andre too. When I screamed for you, did you hear a sound? I guess you didn't because you were never around. I will tell you something you cannot forget. Once you hurt your kids, it will soon come to regret. Pretty tough poem, huh? The pain that our society feels. This is not unusual. This is, this is just... Knock on doors, friends, in Kalama. Just knock on doors. See about the children who have been abandoned. And they feel, they feel betrayed, right? Betrayed is very personal. It's more intense than abandonment, but abandonment hurts. Abandonment is a very real thing that we face. And I think that one of the great things that we can do is to be people who help those who have been abandoned. Jesus was abandoned. The world has been abandoned. You know, one of the things I love about the Bible is that the Bible speaks in terms that don't sugarcoat life. Um, in the stories of the Bible, we see people at their, at their best, and we see the people at their worst. The Bible never shows up and, 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 and tries to tell us, hey, you know, uh, these are the super Christians in this book. You know, the, 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 the stories here, you know, all these people, these are all super Christians. It doesn't do that, does it? It tells us stories about normal, everyday, ordinary people who came face-to-face -face with circumstances, particularly with God, who entered into their lives and, and changed them or challenged them or broke them or something, right? But these are ordinary people. We read stories about Abraham and so forth. We go, oh, 
Oh, wow, Abraham must be the most amazing person. Well, he was a man of faith. But the reality is, is that he was still an ordinary person in so many ways. We're in here. We're in this book, you see. Now, there's a story about abandonment in Luke chapter 7. I wanted to share this story with you. It goes like this. Okay? Another meal. Another meal. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. Hear this story. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Can you hear the words of abandonment there? The echoes of abandonment? One, see, one, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that the, she, he was reclining at table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet at his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the anointment. Now you see, this is an individual who has been so left out of society that she was desperately alone. Um, you know, there's this, if you read comments on this, uh, commentaries on this passage, you'll see that these comments, you know, usually talk about the fact that this woman was, was a prostitute. And it's possible. We just don't know. And the fact that she lets down her hair may point to some sort of sexual promiscuity, but, but, but it probably points to, when you study uh, Greco-Roman culture, it probably points to grief. That she was so grieved that she just kind of let her hair down in order to wipe his feet with her hair. Uh, that was very common in the Greco-Roman world, to do that kind of thing. Not to wipe someone's feet with your hair, but to let your hair down as a woman when you're in tremendous times of grief well here we have this woman who is beside herself with grief verse 39 now when the pharisee who had invited himself saw this he said to himself if this man were a prophet he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner you know um in that world being a part of the community is absolutely crucial for life. You know, if you're not a part of a community, you know that you're a nobody. We, in this country, in this culture, we kind of live on our own. I mean, we got the internet. You know, you want to be part of a community, you can go online. Uh, you, you can choose who your friends are, being part of this one, one or two people's lives. But, but back then, it wasn't like that. In that society, if you were not a part of the community, you were an absolute nobody. You were nothing. This is what's called an honor and shame culture. So there were, there's a whole system in the Greco-Roman world, and this, and this does connect with the Jewish people, uh, where you had people who were uh, known as patrons, and they would, they would give you um, money, and you became their client, this is very common in order to work, up the, work yourself up in the world. You needed favors, but then the patron needed favors. Now, this is what happens in this world, is that if you're not absolutely good at pleasing and satisfying the patron, because most people are just clients, if, you're not, if you don't satisfy the patron, 
then the patient has the power to destroy your life. In other words, shame is the thing that destroyed people personally and in the whole society. In other words, people who experienced tremendous amounts of shame was, would not be uncommon for them to commit suicide. It's a very difficult uh, experience. And here you have this woman who's not part of the Jewish community. She's in tremendous grief because she can't get into the Jewish community. And the Pharisee, who is a leader in the Jewish community, is saying, she's a sinner. Can't believe that this man is a prophet. If he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. This woman defines abandonment. You see? Verse 40, And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them loved him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, You have answered right, Simon. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Do you know that seeing in Luke's gospel is absolutely crucial for life change? Do you remember when Jesus announces who he is to the community in Nazareth, to the synagogue? He quotes from Isaiah chapter 61. And if you were to do a really close study of that section, you would see that all these things are important that he lists. He says, I, you know, I, I'm setting the captives free and this kind of thing. But he says this one thing that's actually central to that whole message about who he is. The, the, the ministry of the Messiah. He says, I give the blind their sight. I give Seeing. Jesus asked Simon, the Pharisee, Simon, do you see this woman? So often we think that we see things when we live in the world. I'm going to tell you that most of the time we don't see much of anything because our focus is so much on me, on me, on me. Simon, do you see this woman? I wonder if Jesus asks you that question sometimes. Friend, do you see this person? Do you see him deeply? Jesus says, I entered your house, Simon. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you that her sins, which are many, are forgiven. See, Jesus sees you, and Jesus sees me. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Simon? Do you see this woman?
Larry, do you see your children? I know you do. Do you see your children? I think we live in a world, particularly in our community, where most people don't really, at least half our people, they don't really see their kids because they've abandoned their kids. Do you see your son? Do you see your daughter? Married people, do you see your spouse? Do you see what God sees? Let me tell you something. God wants you. He expects you to see your spouse. He expects you to. I always tell people that in ministry, 95% of ministry is just being present. If we simply connect with people in Kalama, it will make a difference in Kalama. It's not so much that they're going to come rushing into our doors. Some will come. But the question is not whether they'll come rushing in our doors and then we'll open our eyes and see them. The question is whether or not we will see them in Kalama where we live and where we go to work. 95% of ministry is just being there, just showing up, just showing up. But Jesus calls us to show up with our eyes open and our hearts ready to receive. Um, I really wonder in this congregation this morning if there's someone who needs to be seen today. I wonder if you do. The great things about Romans, Romans 8, uh, is that Paul ends this great argument with the whole idea that God will never abandon us. He sees us. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He sees you. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is condemned? Christ Jesus is, is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who's at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? You know what it means to intercede for us? It means he sees us all the time. Who are you seeing? Who are you seeing in your life? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's because he sees you, he knows you, and he continues to see you, and the issue for us is very simple. Who do we see? Who will we not abandon? Yeah, sometimes, you know, not only is ministry about just being present, I got to tell you, as much as I love to study the culture and the history, and 
all these things. Ministry is so simple. It's just seeing the person God brings you to see and being there for them. They don't care how much you know. Occasionally, people around here seem to care a little bit about what I know. They mostly care about whether I love them. And as a human being, I don't always do that, do that very well, but I try to do that. Well, it's your turn to be loving in this world and to open your eyes. As we come to communion, remember, Jesus saw the one who betrayed him And he loved him, even though he was being betrayed. Would you pray with me? Father, I know that there are people here in this congregation who have been hurt before. <laughs> That's kind of a joke. I mean, who hasn't been hurt? Everyone's been hurt. And the truth is, Lord, we want to be seen. We want to be seen by you, and you promised that. And we want to be seen by the people who call your name. Lord, would you, will you make our church a people who see so that we wouldn't abandon anyone? I thank you, Lord, that you have come to us this morning and that you're in the bread and in the cup, and I pray that you would bless it that you would come upon it and come upon this, these people and that you reveal yourself so that they could see you, not with their eyes, but with their eyes of faith and that we would never be the same. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.